The Innovate 608 podcast is brought to you by Starting Block Madison and sponsored by the Wisconsin State Journal, Madison.com, and the American Family Insurance Institute for Corporate and Social Impact. The Institute invests in visionary entrepreneurs who are building scalable social enterprises, offering economic opportunity for all, healthy youth development, learning, and academic achievement, and resilient communities. From the Starting Block Madison studio in the beautiful Capital East neighborhood of downtown Madison, Wisconsin, this is the Innovate 608 podcast, and I am your host, Nora Rowan-Schmidt. Thank you for joining us today. You're listening to the Innovate 608 podcast coming to you from Starting Block Madison. Thank you to our sponsors, the American Family Institute, the Wisconsin State Journal, and Madison.com. Today in the studio, we have Rachel Sattler and Kim Curran, co-founders of Dane Multi-Agency Center. Dane Multi-Agency Center is working to ensure that every survivor of gender-based violence in Dane County can easily connect to the support that they want, when they want it, on their terms. Rachel and Kim, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having us. Let's talk a little bit about Dane Mac, what it means, what you do, and what's innovative about your approach? Sure. So Dane County Multi-Agency Center, or DaneMac for short, is an organization that Kim and I founded back in 2018, I believe, um, to address some issues that we've encountered over our years as direct service providers to survivors of sexual assault. And it was our goal to create a space where... Um, organizations locally could collaborate to improve how survivors access support. Um, we hear all too often that survivors struggle to access the support that they need or don't feel comfortable accessing the support they need after they've been sexually assaulted. And that was sort of unacceptable for us. <laughs> so we decided to do something about it. And um, we started by starting a a steering committee of leaders of various organizations that provide support to survivors um, to talk about what the good things are that Dane County has been doing and what isn't working in Dane County for survivors um, to steer how we can improve this. And through that process, we identified a lot of cool ways to create a system um, that first makes it easier for survivors to access help rather than having to um, independently sort of cold call places to try to figure out what service is best for them. We decided it was imperative that we figure out a way to make it um, easy for survivors through a one-stop shop to learn about what their options are for support and then get connected to that support so that they aren't um, having to navigate these really complex systems like the healthcare system, the legal system, the criminal justice system. If, if, um, if a survivor wants to go down that route of reporting law enforcement, these are all super complicated systems and historically survivors have been left to their own devices primarily to navigate that. Mm -hmm. So tell me a little bit about how that one-stop one shop process works. Maybe, Kim, you could talk about that just a little bit. So back in the beginning, we really envisioned 
a office space with multiple agencies working out of that office. So we would put the survivor in the center and build all of the services around that survivor. What COVID has taught us, what time has taught us, what our steering committee has taught us is, is that there's lots of other ways to make that happen instead of having an actual large physical space. And that's primarily virtual. Um, a lot of the individuals or survivors that have given us feedback as well is, is that it's embarrassing, frankly, to walk into an organization where everyone knows what that organization does. So if we can take away the stigma and provide access via virtual platform, it's revolutionary for our county. In addition, it is also much more survivor friendly in our mind. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I'm really interested in how the two of you found each other. Um, you're both incredibly talented and have done some really incredible work uh, in your own right and individually. How did you find each other? And was was finding each other the aha moment for this new initiative or um, how did all of that come together? So Rachel and I were actually reviewing the questions last evening and we kind of thought about what our aha moment was. So Rachel was in the DA's office and I was running the sexual assault nurse examiner program at Meritor. And at that time I had a very strong interest in individuals that had been strangled. So I approached the DA's office, Department of Justice, with this training that was happening in San Diego. And this happened in 2012. We all went. DOJ kind of bought into the idea of, oh, there's this multidisciplinary team that could address individuals that are strangled. So we went out there, and what we learned is about this multi-agency center model in addition to strangulation. And that was really back in 2012, like I said, our moment of, why don't we have this in Dane County? This is wonderful. Look at all these services in one building. They really have taken survivor services to a next level. And so Kim and I already knew each other through work. Um, and we worked a lot of cases together. And it was through that connection um, at the conference that we really started having conversations about how maybe we could figure out a way to help change the system or improve the system as opposed to helping each individual survivor that we were working with. So I've talked to entrepreneurs before who have said that there was a, a certain date and a certain moment that they just knew that this is the idea, I'm starting to move it forward, the legal pad comes out almost instantly and the notes are being written. Did you have a first initial actual meeting where you started to put this idea together and what did that look like? Yeah, well, I think that might be different for both of us. Um, we So we learned about this in 2012 and through our work, um, we continued to have discussions about it and try to figure out a way through our, our jobs at the time to move the idea forward. But we didn't have a lot of space in our life to dedicate to it. Um, and Kim did a study, and she can talk more about that, I think in like 2017. Um, and... It was so motivating. I knew I wanted to be a part of it. I remember calling Kim saying, we have to do this. And if I can't do it 
in the position that I'm currently in as a sensitive crimes prosecutor in the DA's office, I need to figure out a way to change my life to create this um, this opportunity to commit to the project. And I quit my job um, for a variety of reasons, but also because I wanted to do this. And it was a big risk. And it's been quite a journey over the last few years, but it's been really exciting. And I think, Kim, you have, you know, you probably have a different aha moment. But. I think my aha moment is similar in when we, myself and a forensic nursing student getting her master's degree, did a community survey. So we spent basically a couple of nights a week at homeless shelters, um, different locations throughout Madison, talking to people, getting feedback, um, asking people if they were willing to fill out a survey, et cetera. And just solidifying in my mind, really, the need that came out of that, where individuals were being told, on average, three different names to contact, for example. If something happens to you, we want you to call blah, blah, blah. And then we want you to navigate those systems, as Rachel was saying, and we want you to be able to provide your own transportation to get to all of those. So that study to me validated, if you will, what really Rachel and I had been talking about, which I, what I already believed was hopefully going to be best practiced here in Dane County at some point. And then, as Rachel was saying, really as we've moved throughout the process, the evolution of what this project has become just makes me believe in it all the more. That's really fantastic. When you started to really put things in motion and you put more full-time focus on your idea, tell me about how the, the, this had to have been a lifestyle change for both of you. What was that transition like? Was it really rapid? Did you kind of phase out some of your other employment? What did that look like? Well, we both work still full time. We shifted jobs. So I work in a job now as a victim's rights lawyer that gives me a little more control and um, and opportunities for these types of projects. And I've been um, extraordinarily um, grateful that the employers I've worked for, Legal Action of Wisconsin and Lotus Legal Clinic, have been supportive of this project as well. Um, they encouraged me to um, pursue this in addition to doing the work. So we don't really have a lot of free time. We just no, it doesn't now, sound like it. <laughs> we just now um, have support um, through our professional lives that allow us to um, work on this when we can as well. Um, but it's been really hard. It's really hard to juggle everything. And honestly, I don't know how Kim does it in particular as a parent as well. <laughs> well, I think this means you're true entrepreneurs, right? You know, juggling all of the things all the time. I live and die by the calendar. That's all I can say. You know, if it's not on the calendar, it's probably not going to happen. So as long as it's on the calendar, we can keep it all together. So in 2020, because of all of the challenges with COVID, we've talked to other guests who have mentioned that some of their services were used more than ever before as it related to addiction um, and some other challenges. 
I'm certain that different acts of violence and other challenges also increased during 2020, though I don't have an exact statistic. Was there anything about COVID, 2020, and some of the changes just in the world in general and some of the need for more special attention for victims of abuse and violence um, that put you on a path where you were even more encouraged to get really moving and get everything in order for your project? Definitely. Um, I think COVID really validated for us that we were on the right path, which allowed us to build some confidence in the ideas that we had and then um, motivated us to act on them in a way that we hadn't yet. Um, because social services have sort of historically been utilized in a very specific way, there isn't a lot of innovation or use of technology prior to COVID. And um, the benefit to COVID, if I could say there's a benefit, um, is that a lot of the systems that we operate in that we're hoping to buy into our idea discovered that when pushed, they too can innovate in ways and create new ways to support survivors. Um, so I think that through the work, the amazing work that support services have done for survivors over this extraordinary period of time, um, we now can go to these organizations that can partner with us and say, you've already seen what is possible, and now we can connect this in a different way. Um, whereas prior to that, they didn't, we didn't necessarily have that context. Um, so I, I think that it's, um, I, I have a hope that this project will um, succeed in a way that I didn't before. I'm, it's not a hope. I'm confident. I know that it will work. Um, and I think others now can see that too, that may not have before. I would agree that COVID really opened our eyes to what we can do virtually instead of always having to congregate in an office space. And that's both in medicine, in law, in every area. And when we're talking about survivors, anything that we can do to make it easier for them to access services, break down transportation barriers, break down barriers of the stigma of walking into a building is the right thing to do. Whether or not survivors were accessing services during COVID, there's a lot of thoughts on that, um, primarily that the vast majority were not and that there was a huge uptick in abuse that just wasn't being reported. Because again, when you have multiple people living in one living space, whether that be sexual abuse, domestic abuse, child abuse, if you don't have an out, if you're not getting out of that home, who would you tell? How would you tell? Which is why our idea of a multi-agency portal, the map, um, could be a helpful tool for people in those situations too that can't actually get away from the environment that is causing them trauma and, and abuse. What are some of the things that you've learned about yourselves 
and each other during this process. You know, entrepreneurship really is a journey and it, it takes so many different things to continue to move forward and to change course just a little bit. Talk to me about that journey and what you've learned about yourselves and each other. I've learned more patience, I would say, because this is definitely a learning process. Um, I'm very much, uh, we should do this. Let's do it. Let's do it now. Um, but that doesn't work when we're talking about coordinating um, collaboration and how our idea has really metamorphosized into many different pieces, if you will. And so for me, the largest piece has been learning how much patience I do have. With Rachel, um, I think we're a good yin and yang. Sometimes she balances me out and just tells me to slow down and to um, stay the course and that this is going to work out for us. Yeah, actually, it's funny that that's your answer, Kim, because I would say the same. Um, (laughs) What I learned is that Kim is definitely a doer and I am more of a thinker and um, an Analyzer. Not that Kim doesn't do those things too, but I have learned from Kim how to take leaps and go to the next step when I'm not yet confident doing that. Um, There's value to that too, just as there's value to me telling Kim to slow down at times. And I think as a result of that balance that we have, we have wound up being a really good match. Um, I've learned that I I can be pretty tentative. I'm pretty risk avoidant. And so this whole journey into the entrepreneurial world has been really scary for me. Um, Exciting, but scary, because it all sort of runs contrary to who I am. And... um, So while it is important to be deliberate and think through the decisions that we're making, um, it's, I've also learned that it's really important to figure out when to say, we've done the work, now we need to take the next step. And I think we're really good at doing that at the right time. Many of the people that listen to our show are entrepreneurs that are at home, or they don't know that they're entrepreneurs yet. They are still working their normal job. Maybe they're working second shift and they've got this amazing idea for an app that they're not quite ready to put out into the world. Maybe they have three children under the age of 10. You know, it could be all kinds of different things and they're waiting and thinking and trying to get ready to make that first move or to have that real aha moment with a potential partner. What advice do you give to that listener? I would say that I'm humbled, first of all, that we're able to give advice, first and foremost. Second, I would say don't ever give up. If you believe in your idea, if you have a passion for what you're trying to create, continue with your idea. Get used to the word no, because you're going to hear it a lot. There's going to be a lot of no's before you get a yes. But as long as you have the passion and the belief in what you're doing, you should continue to push through. I would add that I think it's important in those early stages to have a belief in your idea, but also an openness to adapting your plans and adapting your vision. 
um, to not just fit your needs at that moment, but to be open to exploring different ways to achieve what what you're trying to create. Rachel, you started to touch on this just a little bit. Uh, being a woman and an entrepreneur, what is your experience in the startup world? And what responsibility do you feel to other women who are entering into the startup world or entrepreneurship um, in order to either, you know, mentor, support, assist? And then Kim, I'll ask you the same question. Um, this may seem surprising, um, but I would say that the entrepreneur world, the startup world has been just surprisingly welcoming to, to us. Um, and I don't know whether that is um, has to do with the idea that we're trying to move forward or is simply the culture of, of this world. We're not familiar with it, so we, we, I can't begin to posit on that. Um, but I think I have just been refreshingly um, surprised at how... Um, open and vulnerable I, and honest I can be about where we are and how I'm feeling about things with the people who I'm talking to in this in this world and um, the encouragement that I've received and the willingness to help. Um, it's actually distinctly different from um, our experience talking about this within the network of survivor support um to some degree um in in there's a we we certainly came up against our fair share of um naysayers or people questioning whether this is something that is possible whether this will actually happen um and it's been really encouraging to find um a space where people encourage innovation and um, and uh, commitment to to pursuing a dream. I would say that historically in medicine, that we nurses are known for eating their young. That's the phrase or terminology that we use. And I would agree with Rachel that in this world. Um, once we became a part of Starting Block, it's been nothing but encouraging. And who can we connect you to? How can we help you? This is a great idea. What do you need? And there's just been an overwhelming positivity and amount of support. Being female, being new at this, being new to the business world, all of that has been amazing. Recently, there was a nurse that reached out to me who's trying to start something um, in a different part of the state that's very similar to what we're doing here. And it was very eye-opening to me that she was referred to me, that she was asking for my guidance and my help. And it was a little bit of an aha moment of someone thinks we're doing a good job because she was sent to me for help. And that was an amazing feeling, honestly, and kind of validating as well. Absolutely. Can I say one more thing? Um, yes. yes, please. I think I'm also acutely familiar um, of my gender when I'm working in the court system. Um, I've certainly faced my fair share of 
sexism and um, misogyny throughout my life and professional career as um, most people who identify as women have. Um, and so I was expecting that um, in what I perceived to be a primarily male-driven field, the entrepreneurial world. Um, and it has been um, illuminating to me and important, I think, for me to recognize that um, and say out loud that thus far my experience has um, been better than expected um, as a female entering into a, a different man's world. What are some of the things that really motivate you on a challenging day? I would say the survivors that we continue to work with in our professional lives, so our day jobs as I call them. I see women every week in clinic who are survivors of different types of violence. Some aren't able to do typical health screenings that we recommend as primary care doctors to be able to move their health care forward because of something that happened to them in their past. Maybe they got services, maybe they didn't get services. Many of them didn't process well through things per their report or what they're telling me. So for me, one of the biggest motivators is continuing to see how we can make not only an impact in the short term for survivors, but really their long-term healthcare, long-term life, long-term goals, whatever they might be striving for within their life, instead of letting the sexual assault really define them, allow that more to become a piece of them, but not their entire being. And I too find my motivation through the clients that I work with. Um, when I hear about their challenges, and we, we hear it every day, about their challenges accessing the help that they need and finding it, um, but their perseverance through that um, is a sort of continuous reminder for us that number one, our idea will make a difference in their lives, and number two, that if they can navigate the complexities of this system and in the midst of the trauma that they're experiencing, then I should be able to figure out a way to navigate these systems um, myself as a professional who operates the, in them every day. Um, and that motivates me to keep thinking about ways to, to improve the system rather than work within it um, and accept the status quo. So it really has always been the survivors who motivate me. What's the most valuable piece of advice that you've been given in the last year or so? I think that the most helpful thing that I've heard in the last year um, was in my interview for the social impact cohort um, where I was talking about how I didn't really view myself as an entrepreneur and how I, we didn't have that knowledge 
Um, and the person who I was interviewing with, Mark, um, said, yeah, but you have so much insider expert knowledge on the field in where you're creating this product. And that makes all the difference with successful businesses. And I had never, up until that point, I had been viewing myself and, and our, our journey into this world through sort of a negative lens where I thought we were at a deficit because we were lacking this really key knowledge, like how to run a business, how to start a business. Um, and him saying that to me reminded me that I was an expert in a part of this and I had value to bring to this business, even if I didn't have the business experience and that the value that I brought to it is actually what can make this succeed. I don't know if you would call mine advice, what I'm about to share, um, but I would say over the course of a year, I've received a lot of advice about continuing and about what we're doing. There's times though, obviously, where we still wanna quit and give up and just kinda say, oh my gosh, this is eating up my personal time. I just need a break. Um, but the piece that keeps me motivated was actually when a patient, after five years, was finally able to trust me enough to allow me to do a full exam on her. And her words to me were, I wish every provider was trauma-informed because it would have changed so many things for me. And that is why I keep going. Yeah, definitely inspiring, meaningful work. So what's next? So much. <laughs> um, so much. Yeah, it really feels like we're at the precipice of um, our dream becoming a reality. And it's really, really exciting. We are excited to start pitching our idea um, and talking about it publicly and having like a cohesive message um, that people will understand and appreciate. Um, and we are moving into these next steps with a confidence that we didn't have before um, that this is going to happen. Um, so we are excited to find um, investors and donors to help us build um, this product. And we're really excited to um, partner with community providers to pilot the project and and learn from that and adapt from that and you know we're nowhere near having a product that is scalable but we the idea is there um we are confident in it and we know that we will continue to learn um as we build it we're I'm just really excited about that I would echo what Rachel said I too find this very exciting invigorating and ready for next steps as far as moving forward and continuing to see what we've been working on for years come to fruition is just amazing. And we also are, we, we know that not only will this help Dane County, but we also have really started thinking big in ways that, you know, we weren't before. We can see how this product can help um, people not just locally, but 
in all sorts of systems and all sorts of communities with all sorts of public health issues, um, not just gender-based violence. And um, we want to, we're just really excited to grow um, and to be able to provide that support locally and potentially um, to other communities who see the need for this in their in their town or or city. Well, it's such an honor to have both of you in the studio today, and um, to have such a an innovative approach to something that's really important for people in Dane County. Um, working with Starting Block um, as you continue your journey as entrepreneurs. So thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for this opportunity. And Starting Block has certainly been a game changer for us, and we're grateful. It's so amazing to hear. Thank you. You've been listening to the Innovate 608 podcast with special guests Kim Curran and Rachel Sattler, co-founders of Dane County Multi-Agency Center. I encourage you to visit their website, danecenter.org, There you'll find more information about getting involved, how to sign up for their newsletter, and updates on the incredible work that they're doing. That's it for today. Thank you for listening to the Innovate 608 podcast. What's the most innovative thing you've done this week? Record a message all about your innovation and send it to us in an email at innovate608 at startingblockmadison.org. Be sure to check out the Starting Block Madison Facebook page for video clips and episode outtakes. Remember, innovators, do one thing every day that is slightly outside of your comfort zone. That's where the magic happens. Thanks so much to the American Family Insurance Institute for Corporate and Social Impact for sponsoring this episode. See you next time.